Welcome back to the Pops Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we have been going through the book of James with Aji and the book of Matthew with Kishore over the past few years. In this session, Aji continues his study through James, talking about the seven hallmarks of an effective prayer. If you'd like, feel free to go back and listen to some of the previous episodes to learn more about what James is teaching us about the power of prayer. Aji is going to walk us through how to pray correctly so that our prayers get answered. Take it away, Aji. Brothers, I'm excited to share with you tonight a very simple but yet powerful message. If you get what we're going to be talking about tonight, it will revolutionize your life, guaranteed. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the seven hallmarks of an effective prayer. Seven hallmarks of an effective prayer. If you get the concept I'm going to share with you tonight, you will increase your batting average of answered prayer by a ridiculous number. You could be praying 100% and getting answers 100%. Because what I'm going to share with you is not my idea, it's God's idea. How many people here, is it worth for you to come out in this cold weather to learn how to increase your batting average when you pray? That when you pray, you know, you know what? Done deal. That's it. You could put a smile on your face and go have a Starbucks coffee or have a cookie, knowing it is done. That's what we're talking about tonight. So with that, let me read my introduction. Everyone prays, Christians and non-Christians. Prayer is an innate human instinct. In fact, a couple of years ago, at the outset of the pandemic in 2020, one of the most researched phrases on Google was, how do I pray? How do I pray? The next question after, how do I pray, is when I pray, how could I know that God is listening and will answer my prayer? In the second part of James chapter 5, verse 16, James answered this question and renewed our confidence in the power of an effective prayer. Let's find out what James' perspective is and how it impacts our view of prayer. If you were not here two weeks ago, we talked about there are only two sentences in James chapter 5, verse 16. And you could see if we try to, this verse is so loaded with wisdom that there is no way you could talk about it in one night. Okay? Two weeks ago, we spoke about the first sentence. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. I will highly encourage you to access our podcast and listen to that message. Because that's the foundation of what we are going to talk about tonight. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. There is a link between healing and confessing your sins. Many people do not know that. Many people rush to prayer and then they complain. Oh, God need not answer my prayer. But James said, to get an answered prayer, confess your faults one to another. He didn't say confess it to a priest. He didn't say confess it to an elder in church. He didn't tell you to confess it to a pastor. He said, confess it to one another. One another. We that are in this room, your friends at church. But the second part we're going to deal with tonight reads, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what we're going to talk about in the next 40, 45 minutes. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're going to look at that sentence in different translations We're going to break it down and look at the meaning of each word. You're going to get what James is talking about. Then we're going to talk about the seven hallmarks of an effective prayer. So let's look at the New King King James Version. We're just focusing on the second sentence of James 5.16. The New King James Version said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
The NIV says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The ESV translation says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The Passion translation, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. The modern English version says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. When I read this, it makes me want to pray. Because most of the time, we have undermined our prayers. We have said, after all, you know what? I prayed about that, nothing happened. I got some, my buddy from church praying for me, nothing happened. But James is trying to set a new landscape, a paradigm shift in the way you look at prayer, starting from now. That when you pray, you're going to know you've had a conversation with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty God. And you know he has heard you, and you know you're going to get what you're asking for. Every time, guaranteed. By who? Aji? No, by God himself. So let's look at the Greek meaning of some of the words, because as you know, these words were strategically used by the Holy Spirit when he gave it to James. There is no waste of words. Those words are intended to deliver a certain meaning. So let's look at what it means. Let's look at the term effectual fervent. Effectual fervent. What does that mean? Well, the word effectual in English is effective. And what does effective mean? Effective means successful in providing a desired or intended result. How would you like to know your prayer is successful in providing a desired or intended result? So that is what effectual means. What about fervent? Fervent in Greek is energio. Energio. And it means, in English, energetic. And Webster defines fervent as very hot, exhibiting, marked by great intensity of feeling. So when you put it together, effectual fervent, it depicts a prayer that is heartfelt, marked by passion, with a great intensity of feeling. And when you say such a prayer, you set into motion a powerful and active force, energetic and filled with divine power. So it also involves Spirit, soul, and body. There are many that praise, and they just pray in a rush. There is no passion. What James is talking here, there has to be some emotion in it. And someone might say, well, you know what? I'm not like Haji. He gets excited easy. He jumps. He speaks. He does everything up, up there when he's speaking. I'm not excited. I'm just like a cool, calm, and collected guy. Well, you could be cool, calm, and collected, but just raise it up one notch. Show that you are in it. Be invested in what you're praying. Because those words, like you said... The Holy Spirit gave it to James. He said the prayer has to be effectual. It has to be fervent. Energio. And what I like about what he wrote is this. He said the effectual fervent prayer of someone. Who is that person? He calls that person a righteous man. The qualification, according to James, when you say an effectual fervent prayer, that effectual fervent prayer has to be said by a righteous person. But you might say, well, I'm not a righteous person. I'm, I'm not as good as my pastor. I, in fact, today I've done so many things I'm not proud of. How could I be righteous? Doesn't righteous mean that I do right every time? I'm a goody tissue? No, that's not what it means. But this concept of righteousness is very fundamental to an effectual fervent prayer that gets resolved. It's the first concept. You got to know every time you are praying, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because the enemy is having a laser gun at your righteousness. The moment your righteousness is collapsed, your prayer is done. 
You might as well just go to bed. It's not going to, nothing is happening. So what does righteousness mean? Righteousness means to be without sin and being in right standing with God without any guilt or condemnation. Righteousness enables you to stand in authority over Satan without any guilt or inferiority complex because Jesus Christ has made us free from Satan's power and has given us authority over him. So what am I saying? Your righteousness is not something that you do. Your righteousness is based on what Christ did. Get it? You got to get that concept, brothers. You got to get that, that when you go into your closet to pray, you got to come as a son of God. You don't go as a beggar. You don't go as a servant. Just like your son will not come to you and say, Daddy, can I have some peanut butter from the fridge, please, please, sorry, please. If your son does that, what will you be thinking? God does not want you to come as a beggar. God does not want you to come criticizing yourself of how you spoke to your wife this morning, how you are bad, because the enemy is speaking all those things to you. You are not qualified to pray. You are just useless. Look at you. You haven't been to church in three weeks. The last time you were driving on 79, I saw you giving a finger to the guy that was trying to margin. Who are you to think you could pray? That's the devil. The devil will do that. Nobody likes you. Even the dog don't like you. Look at how the dog ran out when he came in the room. That's what the devil does. He's targeting your righteousness because he knows if he, if he hits your righteousness, your prayer is toast. Always make, make sure before you begin prayer. I usually say, you know what I say? When I start to pray, I say, Father, thank you. I am a son. I am your son. And I'm coming home, Abba, Father. I'm coming to you. Father, I thank you that Jesus Christ bore my sickness. He bore my sin on the cross of Calvary. I know I could come to you anytime. And I'm accepted because of what Christ did. You got to understand, being righteous is both your spiritual heritage and position in Jesus Christ. Just like you are a man, a male, just like Isaac right now. He's a male. He's righteous. Why? Because his righteousness was not earned by him. The righteousness was earned by Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ credited his account and said, Isaac, you're righteous. So don't always feel like, oh, I have to be perfect before I get in my prayer closet. It has nothing to do with how you feel, what you've done, and everything to do with what Jesus Christ did. Never ever forget this. If you question your righteousness, your prayer goes unanswered. And that is a secret most people do not know. Your understanding of your righteousness is fundamental and significant to an effective prayer. Let's look at a couple of verses to back this up. Romans 4.5, New Living Translation says, But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God. You see, you are counted righteous not because you did so many goods today, not because you went to church for the last seven days, not because you went and fed the poor in downtown, not because, because you have been fasting for 40 days. You are righteous because Christ said, Michael, you are righteous. He said it. He said, done deal. Settled. So you know what? When the devil comes at you and he's trying to make you remember that fight you had with your wife last night, and now you chewed the neighbor off, and now you gave the finger of 79, just say, devil, ha, 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 you can't do nothing about my righteousness. Ha, 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 devil, I am righteous nevertheless. He will scurry and leave you alone because you know a truth most people do not know. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him, who is him? Capital H, Jesus Christ. He made Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be seen for you. 
for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made Jesus, who knew no sin, every sin you will ever commit, every sin you have committed was put on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was guilt-free. He never sinned. He was the holy lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Because Jesus was pure, he was holy, now he ascribed to you his righteousness. And you usurped your own sinfulness. That was an exchange. That's why the Bible said, whom the son set free is free indeed. You are free from your sin and people cannot wrap their hands around that. And that's why prayers goes unanswered. Because they don't even, they're still thinking, oh man, God could just smack me. He could just drop kick me into hell right now. He could just punch me. If you knew what I did, and I say, if you know what Christ did, you'll never think like that again. So what are the seven hallmarks of an effective prayer? Number one, or even the foundation. I don't even count that as part of the seven. This is, this is like the foundation. I'm not even counting as one of the seven. I'm saying, get your righteousness, your understanding of your righteousness. Get it locked in. Get it settled in your mind before you even pray. So he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. Let's look at that word prayer. What does it mean? That word prayer in Greek is the word dehesis. D-E-I-S-I-S. Dehesis. And it describes a request for a concrete, specific need. Usually some type of physical or material need to be met. So when he is talking about dehesis, when he's talking about prayer there, he's talking about a specific need. What do you need today? What do you want God to do for you today? As you are sitting right there, what have you prayed about that you have not gotten an answer to? Because God has brought you here tonight to provide an answer so that prayer could be answered. He's giving you the tools tonight, and I'm going to challenge you when you get home tonight, utilizing what I'm going to share with you, you go pray again. And I guarantee you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you'll get an answered prayer. Amen? Amen. So what is the first hallmark of an effective, effectual, fervent prayer? God wants you to be very specific when you pray. Be specific when you pray. Because that is what the word prayer is dehesis. It's a request for a concrete, specific need. Be specific. If you don't know what to pray for, take some time out. Don't rush to prayer. See, that's another thing people do. They rush to prayer. They will just say, ah, bah, 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 bah. okay, I'm done. Let's eat dinner. No. Give it a thought. Be intentional. What is the need? Write it down. Don't generalize it. Be a meaningful specific. Don't gloss over it. Don't say, I don't even know what I'm praying for. Maybe you should not be praying yet. If you want to answer prayer, find out what your need is. Let's look at Philippians 4.6. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer, dehesis, and petition, definite request, definite. That is the Amplified Classic. And Amplified has translated the Greek into English. Let your definite request with thanksgiving continue to make your want known to God. But I want you to just see, James is talking about definite request. If you have an indefinite request, you're not in a position to pray yet. Find out what the need is. Find out what the need is. God wants you to be very specific when you pray. If you want specific result, you need to pray with specific request. And when you do that, you know what happens? Your prayers avail it much. It accomplishes much. So number one, be solid in your understanding of your righteousness. Very important. 
Number two, be specific. Clear your mind. What am I even praying for? What is this situation? What is it asking me? What's, what's the challenge here? Let's look at an example. 1 Samuel 1, verses 10 to 11. 1 Samuel 1, 10 to 11. And we are going to read about Hannah. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. You see that? Heartfelt and passion. You see that? She was crying bitterly. Not that you have to cry when you pray, but in this case, Hannah was crying as she prayed. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son. I said, definite request. Give me a son. Then she tells the Lord what she will do with his son. Then I will give him back to you. It will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So how many requests did she have there? As I see, there are four requests. Father God, give me a son. Number one. Number two, I will give him back to you. Number three, it will be yours for his entire lifetime. Number four, his hair will never be cut. How long does it take to say that prayer? How long will you say? Seconds? Minutes? I mean, seconds. Guess what? That prayer was answered. A year later, Samuel was born. Your prayer could be answered like that too. And by the way, Hannah was in the Old Testament. It was on a more lesser covenant. The Old Testament was a lesser covenant. The New Covenant, the New Testament is based on better promises. We are even at a better place than Hannah was. Because Jesus Christ had not yet, yet died when she said this prayer. That was her prayer. That was it. Done. Let me show you another one. And these are Old Testament people. And if they get answers to prayer, how much more you that Jesus Christ shed his blood for? How much more you? They were not righteous because Christ had not yet died. You are righteous because Christ has died and ascribed righteousness to you. Credited it to your account. Let's look at another example. Let's look at 1 Chronicles 4, 9, 10. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. There was a man named Jabez, who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, because his heart had been, his bath has been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. What did he pray? Let's see. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Sounds like a salesman, but he was not. But that was his prayer. He said, Lord, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do. And keep me from all trouble and pain. What's the last sentence? And God granted him his request. What about if you said that prayer? What about if you go home tonight and say, Father God, I want exactly what you did for Jabez. But make sure you want it. I'm just giving an example. Expand my territory. Give me a greater influence in my community, in my family, in the church. Please be with me, Lord, in all that I do. Keep me from all trouble and pain. And you know what? God will grant you your request as well. You see, 2023 is going to be a cataclysmic year of, great, of greater glory. But it all begins with knowing how to use the effective tool of prayer. We are no longer going to be mumbling, and mumbling our prayer and not knowing what we are doing and just saying rubbish. We are going to be intentional. We're going to get a better understanding of our righteousness. And we're going to be specific in our request. And then we're going to start seeing answered prayer. So what is the second hallmark of an effectual prayer? An effectual prayer has to be in alignment with God's will. Very important. An effectual prayer has to be in alignment with 
God's will. Even James told us in James 4, 13 to 15. Let's read. James 4, 13 to 15. James says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into this city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Knowing the will of God is important. How important it is? Let's look at 1 John 5, 14 to 15. How important is praying and knowing God's will? This verse tells us, 1 John 5, 14 to 15. This is the remarkable degree of confidence we as believers are entitled to have before him that if we ask anything according to his will that is consistent with his plan and purpose, he hears us, guaranteed. And if we know for a fact, as indeed we do, that he hears and listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted to us the request which we have asked from him. So God is saying, if you align your will to God's will, don't deal. Answer prayer. Answer prayer. But you know what the problem is? Most of us do not know God's will before we pray. We just say, hey, you know what? I feel like doing this. You know what? God may not feel like doing that. You might feel like doing it. God will say, yeah, go do it. But I don't feel like doing it with you. So we go around. We're doing it. Doing it. Doing it. Doing it. Before you know it. Oh, man, I'm getting tired, man. Oh, man. Nothing is happening. Why? Because we don't know if God approved it. God is not going to pay for a pizza he didn't order. It's your pizza. You're going to pay for it. And you pay for it with your sweat. Anxiety, worry, depression. And so unfortunately, some people die from it. Find out what is God's will. What is God's will? But some might say, well, I just don't know what is God's will. I don't know, should I marry Mary or Jessica? I don't know. Both of them are pretty. They look good. I don't know if I should marry any of them. How do I know? I have a good offer from Atlanta. I have a good offer from New York. The Bible does not tell me whether to go to Atlanta or New York. How do I know, Haji? Should I start this ministry or should I keep on doing what I'm doing? I don't know. What's God's will? If you don't know God's will, you're not ready to pray. See, that is why we say a lot of prayer and nothing happens. So, you know what James said? Let's look at James 1.5. James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. When you need clarity, you need to ask for wisdom. The first thing you need to pray for is not about that thing. Not about that business you want to start. Not about that job offer in New York or Atlanta. Not about, that, not about Mary or Jessica. It's God, Father, what is your will? Give me wisdom. I need wisdom. A lot of time we need to pray for wisdom first. Because when you have wisdom, you have clarity. Then you could pray God's will. Then you could get an answer. So the first thing, we have to be solid on our righteousness. That is the foundation. Number one, we got to have a definite request. Number two, we got to know God's will. Number three, for an effectual prayer to be in alignment with God's will, the prayer must be based on the promises of the word. The prayer must be based on the promises of the word. You could see what we are talking about here takes some homework. Okay? We are not just winging a prayer. We are not just saying, oh, I'm just going to go pray about it. We are doing some homework. There is some work going in before the prayer is said. So now we know the will of God. We are going to pray. Find some promises. Find a scripture. 
Find two scriptures and base it on it. It's not just enough to just say that prayer. Find the word of God. The word, the word says, God said, come, let us reason together. Even though your sin be as scarlet. He said, come. Father, he's saying, come. Let's reason together. Give me your reasoning. Give me what you're standing on. Let's look at 2 Peter 1.4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of divine nature. You partake of God when you pray based on his promises. You partake of his nature. You become more like him. I will tell you what I do. I'll give you an example. There was a time my wife and I, we were believing for children. We've been married for 15 years. We could not have children. And it was becoming very depressing. Particularly from where I came from in Africa, children is big. And my mother and father, may their soul rest in peace in heaven. Every time I call, that's the subject. Any family member you talk to, that's the subject. You guys have any children yet? Ah, oh, what are you waiting for? And they would just go on and on and on. And it started bothering me. After 15 years of marriage, no children. And I said, Father, I got to pray about it. I said, I have to do something about this. And the Lord spoke to me. The Lord said, start from the book of Genesis and begin to look through how many people that were not able to have children. See what happened. And I started from the book of Genesis. And I found that there were seven women that were barren in the Bible. And God gave all of them children, with the exception of one, Michael, the wife of David, who challenged David that he was dancing like a crazy man and his clothes were coming on. She was the only one that won. But all of them had wonderful children. And I begin to go to God based on what I read. I wrote down some scriptures. One of those scriptures, I still remember it today. And I'm talking about this. This has happened for over 20 years ago. Children are a gift from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Happy are those who have a quiver full of them. They shall not be afraid when they speak with their enemies at the gate. And I'll write those scriptures on a three by five card. And when I go on the bus or the trolley, I will pull them out. Children are a gift from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Happy are those who have a quiver full of them. They shall not be afraid when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Wake up in the morning. Read it. Wake up before, I mean, before I go to bed at night. Children are a gift from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Happy are those who have a quiver full of them. They shall not be afraid when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Brothers, I did that, and within a short time, we had two beautiful children. I presented my request to God. I know it was the will of God for us to have children, but I didn't go to God with nothing. I already worked up my faith, and I'll be reading those scriptures. So when I pray them, it's coming straight from my spirit. I'm not just mouthing them off. But I'll tell you, if you don't do your homework, you know what you will tend to do in prayer? If you don't find out if it's the will of God, if you don't have a definite request, if you don't have any promises, you know what you do? You are praying the problem, and it's very easy to do. You get into prayer and you say, Father God, the doctor has said I'm going to die. Oh, Lord. <laughs> doctor said I'm going to die. I looked online, Lord. Three out of five people that have this sickness dies. Oh, Lord, my dad died of this. His dad died of this. His great-father died of this. Oh, Lord, I'm going to die. Is that a prayer? Is that a prayer? But many are doing it. Why? Because they don't know the seven hallmarks of effective prayer. You see, God is not moved by your reciting the problem and all the drama that goes with it. God is only moved by his word and faith. I'm telling you. Base it 
on a promise. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered yes. So through him we say amen to the glory of God. God is saying, if you pay my promises, they are all answered yes. How would you like to know that you are going to something you know is going to be answered yes? God already told you. It's going to be answered yes. As long as it's the will of God. Number four, an effective prayer and fervent prayer must be uttered in words and prayed in faith. Okay, I will repeat that. An effective and fervent prayer must be uttered in words and prayed in faith. Why am I saying this? I have met some people, they will tell you, you know what? I pray in my mind. I just sit on my bed and I just think my prayers. I think it. Well, you know what? God knows your mind. Whether God answers a prayer by thought or not, but I'm going by what James says. When you pray, you must be uttered in words. How do I know that? Look at Luke 11.2. Luke 11.2 said, this is Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples, the head of the church. His disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, think. Is that what he said? No. What did he say? He said, when you pray, say. There is something about verbalizing your prayer that pleases God. I'm not saying God doesn't see your thoughts. I don't, I'm not saying God doesn't see what you're thinking. But when you pray, you got to move your lips and your tongue. You got to talk. Let's back that up by Mark eleven twenty three to 24. Mark eleven twenty three to 24 says, And Jesus answering to them, Have faith of God. Another thing that has to be there, faith. Faith. Have the faith of God. What is the faith of God? What does the faith of God do? There are two components to the faith of God. And you're going to see it in this. For, I underlined it for you. For verily I say to you that whoever may say, say, you got to say to the mountain. What's the mountain? The problem. You got to say to the mountain, be taken up and be cast into the sea. And may not doubt in his heart, but may believe. Believe. That is faith. Saying and believing equals faith. You say what you believe. You pray out of your conviction. You pray out of your conviction. You just don't pray because my pastor prayed this way or because I had it on a podcast or because this is how someone says their prayer. You pray out of conviction. That is why you get a promise and you say, Father God, I thank you that it says, children I give from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Happy are those who have a quiver full of them. They shall not be afraid, but when they, they shall sit, speak with their enemies at the gate. 20 years ago, I memorized that scripture. It got into my belly. It got into my heart. I was thinking it. I was seeing it. I was praying out of conviction. That is faith. You pray out of what you believe. You don't pray about, uh, you know, I just saw this on YouTube or I was just on online watching something. Someone pray like this. You develop your own faith. Get the word of God. Begin to say it. Say it over and over again. Think it. Write it on a three by five card. Pray. Say it 12 times. 20 times a day. Then you are ready to pray. You see, a lot of people do not do this and they wonder, hmm, no answer to my prayer. So he says, and Jesus answering said to them, have faith of God. For verily I say to you that whoever may say to this mount, be taken up and be cast into the sea, and may not doubt in his heart, but may believe that the things he said do come to pass, he shall be to him whatever he may say. 
Because of this, I say to you, all whatever praying you do ask, believe that you receive and it shall be to you. How many times did he say, say? Three times. How many times did he say, believe? Two times. You see, saying and believing, words and faith, it has to be present. You don't say what you don't believe. Believe it first, then say it. Power. But I'll tell you, as you do that, there is something we have to watch for. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12. 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil. Hmm. A deterrent to prayer. Effective prayer. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Watch how you use your tongue. Are you the kind of person that you say something but you mean something else? Are you the kind of person that exaggerates? Are you the kind of person that will say something like, well, you know what, it's the flu season. You know when you say that, it's an evil report because there should be no full season in your house. What are you saying? What are you confessing with your tongue? Are you always declaring the word of God? Are you declaring the position of God? Are you, giving, are you always giving your opinion? I live paycheck to paycheck. Another example. I live paycheck to paycheck. But the Lord said, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. But you are saying something else. The Lord said, by stripes I am healed. But you are saying, you know what? I'm just sick. I think I'm going to die. Is that what God says? That's an evil report. Whenever you say anything contrary to what God is saying, whenever you maintain a posture or your opinion different from God, you are using your tongue for evil report. And that tongue that is speaking evil report is very difficult to pray an answered prayer with it. The children of Israel, God told them, go get that land. That land is yours. The land is yours. Go take it. What did they say? The ten spies. There are giants in the land. And we be like grasshoppers in their side. All of a sudden, they develop a grasshopper complex. They took a different position from what God said. God said, it is your land, go take it. They said, no, we can't take it because we see giants in the land and we are like grasshoppers. What are you saying that is rendering your prayer powerless? You see, it's the little things, little things. Do you finish praying and you say something like, well, you know what, I just don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to make it. I still think things are bad. They are not going up. I'm still broke. I don't have any money. Find what the position of God is, and that's why you have to go to the promises. Pray from the conviction of the promise. Don't pray from the conviction of the problem. Number five, the fifth hallmark of prayer, location and brevity. Location and brevity of prayer. Let your prayer be in private between you and God. Be brief and to the point. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Very important. Let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verses 5 to 8. Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 to 8. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray in public, on street corners, in the synagogues, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Well, you might say, I don't have any problem with that. I don't pray in public. But are you the type that goes into Instagram, Facebook? That is the new public. And you post your prayer there for everybody to see how long and beautiful and rosy your prayer is. 
For everyone to see, wow, do you see him? He's holy. He's righteous. Do you see the long prayer I prayed? Man, he's so poetic. I don't want to do that. Jesus said, let's look at when six, verse 6. When you pray, that is the Lord speaking, the head of the church. God. He said, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. And pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Have a prayer closet. It doesn't have to be a closet like where you put your shoes and your clothes. But maybe it's beside, for me, it's beside of my bed. Kneel down before the Lord. Get your scripture. Praise him. Give him, give him time. Your prayer doesn't have to be long. Mean what you say. Say what you mean and be done. Number six. And this is very, very important. This one, and I know everyone knows this. An effectual, fervent prayer must be prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds very simple, but a lot of people are not doing it. You know what I've been hearing a lot lately? Particularly from the youth. They just say, oh God, oh God this, oh God that. Oh God, oh God this, oh God that. They don't finish the prayer. They will just leave the prayer. They don't even pray in the name of Jesus. I'm, here, I'm seeing that. That trend is particularly amongst the young ones. Look at what Jesus said, John 14, 13. And whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So how do you pray? You pray to the Father in the name of the Son. Get that? You don't pray to Jesus. I hear a lot of people do that too. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, do this, do this, do this. Oh, Holy Spirit, do this. Hey, you can pray whatever you want to pray. But if you want to be a factual, fervent prayer, you pray to God in the name of the Son. You pray to the Father God in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling us that we can consider our prayer answered when we pray in the authority of his name. Pray to the Father God. Don't just pray to God. You know why? Because everybody has a God. The guy that's worshipping the stars, he has his God. The guy that's a guy in Africa worshipping a tree. There are people, marine spirit, that worship water. Pray to God the Father. He's your dad. Don't just call him God. Say, Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I love you, Father. He wants you to call him that. Be very affectionate when you come to God. Don't just say, oh God this, oh God that, oh God this. Just say, Father God, I come to you. I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Not by, own, not by my own accomplishment of what I've done. Not by my own righteousness. I come simply in the name and by the blood. Of Jesus Christ, you have come to your throne of grace to receive mercy for my failures and help in time of need. Let's look at how the disciples pray. The disciples in Acts 4, 29 to 31. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And by the way, when you look at verse 29, oh Lord, when you look at that word, Lord, is curious. What does curious mean? God, Lord Almighty, Master. That's what it means. They were praying to God through the name of Jesus Christ. After this meeting, immediate answer. The meeting place shook 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, then they preached the word of God with boldness. They prayed to God the Father in the name of the Son, and they got answered. And finally, number seven, and each of these are so important, brothers. Each of these are critical elements to a successful prayer. Very critical elements to successful prayer. The last one is equally as significant. The last one is forgiveness. And we spoke about this at length last week. We spoke about this at length. James says in James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. If there is no forgiveness between believers, there will be no healing. An effectual and operative prayer has no unforgiveness between God and man. Forgiveness. Have you wronged someone? Do you think you have wronged someone? You don't have to be sure. You can just pick up the phone and say, you know what? I'm so sorry when I talked to you yesterday, I just had this feeling that I offended you. Did I offend you? I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. It was not my intent to offend you. Maybe I was a little bit hungry when I talked to you. I was coming from work. I have some things on my mind. But I hope you accept my apology. Or maybe you have carried on a war with your mother-in-law or your father-in-law, and it's always been like, give them a call. Hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. I'm sorry. Be quick to say I'm sorry. Because you don't want that to be jamming up your prayer pipe. Just humble yourself. What do you get by holding a grudge? You don't get anything. There's no blessing that comes from it. It actually blocks your blessing pipe. Whoever you think you've wronged, I will say within the next 24 hours, give them a call and ask for forgiveness. You don't even have to even be sure. Just call them. I know what happens when you call people like that. They're so blown away. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I offended you. I didn't mean to. But thank you for calling me. We are good now. Or you could say, hey, Let's get lunch tomorrow. You doing anything tomorrow? Why don't you let's get a coffee? I'll meet you at Starbucks. Let's talk. Flush all junk. Be quick to flush them. Quick, 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 quick. Don't leave it there and be saying, well, you know what? They deserve it. You know, I just kind of give them a piece of my mind. Look at what Mark eleven twenty five 25 said. But when you are praying, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ again, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. First, first. First, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So there is a direct correlation. If we don't forgive, our sins are not forgiven. And the pipe is blocked. No exchange between heaven and earth. You've clogged the prayer pipe. So what happens when we execute all the seven things, the seven hallmarks of an effective prayer? Then our prayers availeth much. The Amplified Classic tells us what Avilet Munch means. The honest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The term Avilet Munch is a Greek word, a Greek phrase called polyichui. Polyichui. And that word is used here. The word strength is the Greek word ishuos, and it describes a bodybuilder. Just one flex of muscle and it can release tremendous power. Meaning that when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, great power is released into our lives and the situations we are facing. 
Your prayer then availeth much, accomplishes much, releases tremendous power when you've done the things we've talked about tonight. Let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ when he prayed because he also did. He's our big brother and he's our example. Let's look at how he prayed in John 11, 41 to 44. John 11, 41 to 44. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends and Lazarus had died. He had been buried four days and in fact he has been stinking. So let's read. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, see, this is Jesus' prayer. Someone is dead. He's about to raise a dead man. Someone is dead. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. See, he's not praying the problem. This is Jesus' prayer. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted. This is his prayer. Shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. Just like that. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. Brothers, God wants to do something new in your life in 2023. I believe this is strategic that we are delivering this message at this point in time. Because this is going to be year known for answered prayers. And I want you to challenge, not challenge me, challenge God. You hear what I've read, what I've said to you tonight. If there's anything there that doesn't agree with you, let's talk about it. But if you agree with what I said tonight, practice it. Pray big prayers. Doing what we just talked about. And you'll be sharing testimonies with us in the months to come. You'll be sharing testimony in the month of February. I dare you to try it. God is chomping at the beat to answer your prayer. But you got to go by the rules of prayer. Another session of Pops and another great message. This message has so many practical takeaways that we can use to make our prayers more effective. Since this message, something that I've been trying to work more into my prayer life is both saying my prayers aloud and being extremely specific of my wants and needs to the Lord. We believe that Pops should never replace church, but it can be a great addition onto the community that you're already involved in. We hope you continue to read the word on your own time so that you can get closer to the Lord and know his voice. May this change the way that you pray and in turn change the effectiveness of that prayer. We love you. We hope you have an awesome week and God bless.